Well, Jensen, here we are back again for another episode of Never Mind. Never Mind. <laughs> Thank you to KS from Singapore for sending in the winning suggestion last week. And we've got the prize going over there now, right? What are we sending them? Was it a, com- a comp- compilation of our last four episodes? I think that was the prize. Okay. So um, notwithstanding, you can get that for free on SoundCloud. Yeah. Uh, this is an autographed copy, right? It so, is. Um, something that will become very valuable over time. Or not. Yes. Now, um... I was talking to some of my students yesterday about the human condition, suffering that is, I I think it was Voltaire or Descartes that said, man is born free but is everywhere in chains. This is really pretty much the summary of the position, isn't it? That we're born into a spontaneous state of being as a very young child. And then something happens along the way and we seem to lose that. And, and that's when all the, uh, the angst begins. Yeah, there's this self-identification process that takes place. So really, let's talk about ego today, shall we? A bit more about this, pro- this process of um, how do we begin to de-identify with an aspect of ourselves that we basically invent. It's an invented, um, you know, mythologic a mythology of who we are. That um, that we that we wear, and the world sees. How, how does that come about? Do you think? How do we get that identity to begin with, and then how do we de-identify? I think I think there's this um, contraction of energy at a deep level around this this idea of me and all that is is just like a contraction that that that's all it is contraction around this idea and then that pervades through the whole organism mm. so when we speak of contraction we're really talking about the process of mind creating a, a new construct of of, of identity it, and it's contracted in the sense that it is it denies the totality right it's a, it's a it's a denial of the complete union and connectedness of us with all with everything see I don't I think um, I think there's no way there's literally no way out of it with mind because mm. whichever way you take it's still within that whole sphere of thought. And it's that contraction around thought that is the problem in the first place. So, so what happens is anything you do to try to de-identify or try to take a different perspective still resides in the self-same thought sphere. Okay? So there's literally no escape. There's no way around it. Generally what happens is people will start to ask questions about things and and so the whole seeking process starts. As that that moves along, it starts to become apparent that 
almost helplessness. There's nothing really you can do at all. Even all the experiences that happen to you, they just happen. So what happens as you go further along is it starts to shift a bit. There's this start to that I literally can't do a thing to somehow escape out of this. That itself has an action. Hmm. And then what happens is seeing starts to happen spontaneously because there's this deeper relaxing that takes place. And because of that deeper movement, what happens is there's glimpses of lucidity and glimpses of seeing. You haven't done a thing, but it's just happened that way because it gets to the point where there's no way to go. You're against a brick wall. You're against a brick wall. So I'm listening to you and I'm recalling the way that I explain this to my students. Um, in yogic terms, we talk about sur the process of surrender and grace. And surrender is really the letting go of identity, the letting go of the notion of me. Now, it, it, it perhaps is still using a degree of mind, but it's, a, it's more of an adoption of an attitude, actually. It's a, it's a, it's a letting go, it's a releasing a preparedness, realizing that you can't find the solution by the, any of the traditional methods of thinking that you talk about. And so the surrender is the giving up. It's the, this is bigger than me, I can't do this, this is beyond my capability. And, and, and the more complete the surrender, actually, you draw upon this, let's call it a, a universal aspect of grace, which is really the totality of consciousness, are essentially coming in and reminding you who you are. And I think this is the re-identification that we talk about ultimately depends on uh, an abandonment of the search. Yeah, and I mean, sometimes it may, it may begin with someone saying, look, I'm trying to surrender to it. Mm -hmm. Okay, even though that is still part of the same sphere of thought. Mm. In time, or sometimes almost spontaneously, but in time, the futility of whichever way you go, you're still banging your head on the same self. It, it just acts. It sounds very mysterious, and it is completely mysterious, but that is what happened. It's not from the volition of doing. Mm -hmm. It's having been done. Mm -hmm. it, the process is doing you. Yeah. You're not doing anything. Yeah. And I think that's one of the traps, isn't it, that the people that get on the path, the journey, still there is a subtle form of ego that is still at work there. And that's the identification as me as seeker, as opposed to me as man in the street. And then we move beyond that stage, that you realise that um, you do notice the changes that are occurring within you, that there is a greater level of happiness, spontaneity and joy. So these are indications that there, I think there's been a degree of letting go is just naturally occurring through the process. Mm. Um, but, you, you know, as we said the other week, you can never tell when, the, when it's actually going to happen, that the point will, become, will be reached where uh, there's no longer anyone doing the seeking, mm. actually. There is no search because mm. there's no longer any seeker. Mm. And see, even, even that, you know, like... Even the idea of preparing for something, that still has this idea that, that there is something to happen. And really, 
it's not actually happening like that. Like after it so cool happens, it's as like, did anything happen at all? <laughs> like yeah. someone else might say, well, such and such person before this point, they did this and they did that. And mm. then after that point, they seem different. And then you speak to the person and they go, well, did something happen? I don't know. You just reminded me of a funny saying my, a, friend, a friend of mine has. He says there are three kinds of people in the world. There are those that make things happen. There are those that watch people making things happen. And then there are those that say, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's probably more the, the, the latter. <laughs> so really, you don't want to be the person that, I mean, believing that you're making something happen is egoic. Right, because there's still a, a subject there, mm. the maker of the thing that has happened. Yeah. The, the person who is watching the other person making something happen, there is still identification of separation because mm. there is me yeah. watching the other person. Yeah. So there's still ego implicit yeah. in that. The one that says what happened yeah. is probably the closest to the state because um, they don't, you know, there was no apparent movement or anything. Yeah. It was just. Uh, yeah, yeah. Not even sure that anything happened. Yeah. See, some of the, the great sages will say that this whole thing is a causal. Yeah. So it's not do X, Y, and get Z. Um, it happens almost in spite of itself. I remember one of our, the teacher of my teacher was a very famous um, yogi in India called Bhagwan Nichananda. And he would say, he, he hardly ever spoke. But when he did speak, it was profound. And there was one thing he would say, and he would often speak in very cryptic terms. He, uh, people would be asking about causation, karma and all that stuff. And he'd say, a crow flies from a tree, a coconut falls. This is apparently a famous saying mm -hmm. in India. The crow flies off the tree, the coconut falls. Did the crow flying cause the coconut to fall and his point I think is they're just things just happen the mind seeks the explanation the mind is the thing that is desperate to join dots with lines yeah uh, because I suppose within this relative realm um, causation is apparently real in in the relative sphere I mean we have to make it clear here what we're talking about, Jensen, and this is probably an important point, from the perspective that we're talking about, we're talking from the perspective of what we might call the absolute, or beyond duality, the Advaita position. But for the people in the in the when we assume our relative aspect mm. to you know make a cup of tea, drive mm. a car, you know do a radio show, sure, we are we are in a mode. We assume a mode, a contracted mode admittedly, but necessarily so, so that we can function within a relative plan, mm. talking to other rel relatively, you know, identified separately and identified yeah. individuals. And, and it's just a motion that's well, occurring. The only, the only tool we have at our disposal is thought. Exactly. So it, it's not in any way to try to be free of thought or anything like that. Thought is a tool mm. and it just depends whether... That tool just gets used 
in a different way. That's all. I like the, the saying you said about the coconut tree. Mm. Um, see, this is a thing that comes up all the time about karma and so forth. Mm -hmm. And when you're talking about these, you think you're talking about within the realm of thought. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, what I'm talking about with the natural state, for instance, is there is no connection. So every experience is really an independent um, unconnected event in inverted commas mm. that it just expresses itself how it expresses itself. It's it's the notion that there is an I that connects these all into some linear process of time. That is where the illusion lies. And in terms of illusion, I'm hearing the illusory orchestra, <laughs> the, the studio orchestra, it's... of course, of the 24-person ensemble creeping up on us again and so we may end it here but I would like to pursue this question in our next episode where we will explore perhaps in a bit more depth this idea of um, let's say the relative versus the absolute modes because I think it's necessary to clarify that but for sure. now thank you everyone for listening thank you Jensen Thanks, Peter. and uh, that ends another episode of Never, never Mind, mind.